Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. American-led airstrikes in one of the most volatile hotspots in the world right now. This is some of the first video of explosions tonight in Yemen Sada province, just north of the country's capital. For weeks, with Israel and Hamas at war in Gaza and fears the war could widen, Iranian-backed Houthi fighters from Yemen have been attacking commercial ships in the nearby Red Sea. There have been dozens of attacks. Tonight, U.S. and British forces have struck back using air and naval assets, both surface ships and submarines, with one Houthi official moments ago saying that multiple cities had been hit. CNN's Orton Lieberman is at the Pentagon for us tonight. MJ Lee is at the White House where the president has just weighed in. I want to start at the Pentagon. Orrin, what do we know about the targets so far that have been hit? More than a dozen targets were hit by several different U.S. Uh, aircraft and assets. It was not just fighter jets and surface vessels, but also submarines that took part in this, launching Tomahawk land attack cruise missiles. The targets included not only radar systems, but also storage and launch sites for ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, as well as UAVs. Now, those three types of weapons are significant. Those are the types of weapons the Houthis have used to attack and, frankly, to try to terrorize international shipping in the Red Sea. It is because of that threat to one of the world's most critical international waterways that, first, a number of major shipping companies have chosen to avoid the Red Sea, but, second, that the U.S. set up what it called Operation Prosperity Guardian, a multinational coalition to defend ships there. That was purely defensive. Now, after warning repeatedly the Houthis to stop these attacks, the U.S., the U.K., and backed by other countries, decided they needed to, to take offensive action, carrying out these strikes against, once again, more than a dozen Houthi targets across several cities in Yemen. This isn't an all-out attempt to try to destroy the Houthis. Far from it. This targets the capabilities and tries to degrade the capabilities they have used to attack international shipping lanes over the course of the past several weeks and months. Anderson. And Orrin, talk about the, the coalition that the, the U.S. Has, has involved in this. This is quite interesting. The U.S. and the U.K., from what we understand, took part in the kinetic part of this operation in terms of firing the missiles and carrying out the strikes. But they were backed by a number of other countries here, including Australia, Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands. The U.S. was looking to make sure this wasn't just a unilateral action, that they weren't acting on their own, and that they had international support. Part of that was a diplomatic effort, right? There was just a U.N. Security Council resolution passed, effectively warning the Houthis to stop attacking international shipping in the Red Sea. There was also a joint statement put out by a number of countries, the U.S. and about a dozen other countries earlier this month, effectively warning the Houthis of the same thing. That clearly didn't do anything to stop them. We have now seen 27 times the Houthis have attacked international shipping. And now we are seeing a coalition of partners, some taking part in the attacks, some likely taking part in the intelligence and the logistics that went into these attacks on Houthi targets. It's not just the U.S. sending a message now, and this is the important point. It is a coalition of countries sending a message. And MJ, is it clear when the president made this decision? Yeah, Anderson, what I'm being told tonight is that sort of the final straw of all of this came Tuesday when we saw the barrage of attacks by the Houthis uh, in the Red Sea, uh, that when that unfolded, that President Biden sort of gave the go-ahead uh, for these airstrikes that we are seeing on our screen uh, right now. But of course, these warnings uh, have been coming for some time. Uh, these strikes, uh, these attacks and provocations from the Houthis in the Red Sea have been going on for weeks, as Oren was just talking about. 
and U.S. officials had been giving warnings uh, repeatedly. And actually, uh, in recent days, one U.S. senior official had said, this is basically going to serve as our final warning. There isn't going to be another warning. So when we saw those attacks on Tuesday, which I'm told by a senior U.S. official also had targeted U.S. vessels, uh, we knew and we expected that some kind of different response would likely be coming from the U.S. and its allies. I also just want to point you to a part of the president's statement that we just got that I thought was really noteworthy and uh, gave a signal as to what might be uh, to come. Uh, he said in the statement that these targeted strikes are supposed to be a clear message that the U.S. and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel and allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation. He then goes on to say, I will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people. And the free flow of international commerce is necessary. So clearly, uh, Anderson, this statement is meant to serve as a warning to the Houthis that more of this could come if they do not stop these attacks and provocations in the Red Sea. And Orrin, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was in the region uh, meeting with Bahrainian officials uh, recently. So the, this, I mean, this certainly has been, it seems, in the works for quite some time. It looks like it, not only because of the amount of effort, cooperation, integration, and planning it would take to carry out such a large strike, but to do it with other countries means they have to all be on the same page as you. Bahrain is the very interesting one here. It's the only country in the region that's part of this group. It is also home to the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet, so there is some cooperation there. Two countries that are notably missing, of course. One is Saudi Arabia, which is still trying to work out and advance a delicate uh, sort of ceasefire with the Houthis after fighting years-long war with them. And the UAE, the Emiratis, also missing. Now look, the U.S. has made clear that the, the defensive part of this Operation Prosperity Guardian isn't going away to, to safeguard international shipping. And President Joe Biden warning that the offensive part of this may also not go away if the Houthis don't stop attacking that shipping. So we'll see if the coalition of countries willing to take part in this grows as well. And MJ, President Biden uh, made clear in his statement earlier uh, or just recently tonight uh, the, the price that has been paid thus far by all of these attacks, the 27 attacks that, that Oren talked about. He's talked about more than 50 nations have been affected, 27 attacks on the international commercial shipping, crews from more than 20 countries have been threatened or taken hostage, more than 2,000 ships have been forced to, to divert thousands of miles to avoid the Red Sea. This has been going on for quite some time. It has been. And in other words, if you're parsing that statement, uh, the situation had gotten so intolerable uh, that the U.S. and the U.K., uh, along with support from uh, other countries, uh, felt compelled to take this kind of uh, action. I think it's also just really important to underscore from here at the White House uh, how much the Biden administration uh, didn't really want to get to this point. Uh, in so many ways, it has been a huge priority for this White House and the administration to try to keep the situation in the Middle East contained obviously uh, for a lot of reasons the situation there is incredibly volatile they also have been very wary of in any way disturbing the current truce uh, in the Yemen civil war between the Houthis uh, and the Saudis uh, so I think the fact the fact that this action was taken uh, anyway uh, just really signals how intolerable the situation had become uh, and just Anderson since you noted the part of the president's statement where he was talking about uh, the widespread effect of the attack that the Houthis had been undertaken 
undertaking. Uh, obviously, the potential economic impact is not just a side note. Uh, we are talking about weeks and weeks uh, of a situation where major shipping companies have had to uh, find different routes, basically not operate uh, their usual shipping lines in the Red Sea. That is going to uh, already cause uh, delays and other kinds of disruptions. This is something that U.S. officials and White House officials are watching really carefully. Uh, so far, at least as of today, uh, senior White House officials saying that they've not seen this kind of uh, economic impact, at least here domestically. But if this kind of situation goes on for days or weeks, certainly that is going to become a more uh, urgent problem, an urgent potential concern uh, for this White House, Anderson. Or we should point out Saudi Arabia is not listed among the, the coalition of countries uh, involved in this attack. That is significant given Saudi Arabia has conducted uh, a, a, a long-term uh, bombing campaign uh, in, in Yemen. Tens of thousands of people have, have been killed. Um, they're now, though, as MJ indicated, uh, have something of a truce and I, I assume are not involved because they don't want to upset that. Right, and that is a very delicate truce. That's the, the the reason it looks like the Saudis are not involved right now. As you point out, the Saudis conducted a widespread bombing campaign to try to destroy the Houthis, but that obviously very much unsuccessful, as we've seen over the course of the past weeks and months. It's interesting to note the interplay here between the U.S., the Houthis, and Saudi Arabia. Early in the Biden administration, they announced they would halt support to Saudi offensive action in Yemen, though they would still support uh, the Saudis defensively. So the U.S. was very much trying to put that to an end and get to a ceasefire there that was achieved, frankly, not all that long ago, 18, 20 months or so. So trying not to upset that here between the Houthis and Saudi as the U.S., the U.K., uh, and others taking part in this uh, this operation to strike the Houthis. So there is delicate diplomacy at work in the background here as well that the U.S. is trying not to upset. We'll see how successful they are because the Houthis have very much promised they would respond to any, any U.S. action. Yeah, Orrin Lieberman, MJ Lee, thank you. More now on the scope of tonight's operation, what we know so far. I want to go to CNN's uh, Alex Marquardt. So let's talk about the strikes. What do we know about the targets? Well, Anderson, uh, the... the, the importance of the Red Sea cannot be denied. Uh, you have 15% of the global seaborne trade uh, that, that passes through here. And if you look down here, this is the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, uh, which is an absolutely critical narrow area that ships go through into the Red Sea and then up uh, to the Suez Canal. Uh, there were more than a dozen strikes uh, across Yemen from north to south, uh, across a variety of, of targets. Uh, we're learning more and more by the minute, really, of what these uh, these targets were, but they were at least in, in five different locations, if not more, uh, in and around the capital of Sana'a, over here on the western coast of uh, Yemen in uh, Al-Hudaida, and then in several other locations uh, up and down uh, the, this north-south axis in Yemen. Now, we are hearing from both the coalition that carried out these strikes as well as the Houthis. Uh, the Houthis have said that a number of air bases uh, and airports were hit along with uh, several camps. They mentioned the 22nd Brigade Camp in the uh, Taiza district, which is down south. This is what we're learning from this coalition, which, uh, of course, the, the U.S. was really leading in terms of uh, the assets that were brought to bear 
They hit radar systems. They hit drone storage and launch sites, as Oren touched on. Uh, the drones have been absolutely uh, a critical part of those attacks that the Houthis have been carrying out, ballistic and cruise missile uh, storage and launch sites. And then in terms of uh, what assets were used, this is just uh, what the U.S. used in tonight's series of strikes. We also know uh, that the RAF, the British Air Force, as well as a British destroyer, uh, they have been out there. Uh, but the USS Eisenhower Strike Group has basically been out in the Red Sea, uh, serving as a deterrent to Iran and other countries. Uh, the U.S. trying to send a message to not widen this conflict with that very formidable strike group. Uh, but fighter jets, U.S. fighter jets, were used to carry out tonight's strikes uh, along with uh, ships. We don't know exactly which ones yet, but we do have the name of the submarine that was used. This is a guided missile submarine called the USS Florida. Very notable that the U.S. military is telling us tonight the name of the submarine. And they, both the surface ships and the, tom and, and, uh, the submarine, fired these uh, land missiles. Uh, these are essentially surface-to-surface -surface missiles, Tomahawk uh, missiles against this more than a dozen uh, locations inside Yemen. So a, f a formidable amount of force brought to bear tonight in these strikes all across Yemen, Anderson. And obviously we don't know if this is the end of these strikes or if this will be an ongoing operation. Do, let's talk more about the, what's behind the U.S. decision to launch the strikes now. Well, quite simply, uh, as I think MJ was just saying, this was the, the strikes that we saw or the attempted attacks by Yemen uh, just two days ago on Tuesday, the biggest yet involving drones, ballistic and cruise missiles, was essentially the straw that broke the camel's back. There had been repeated warnings uh, by the U.S. and others to the Houthis uh, to essentially knock it off. We have seen uh, the U.S. carry out responses against Iranian-backed militant groups in Iraq and Syria. We had not yet seen any kind of U.S. response uh, against the Houthis in Yemen. And that is in large part because they do threaten uh, this waterway. But essentially, having choked this off, the U.S. now trying to send the message to the Houthis uh, that they need to back down. They're essentially trying to punch them in the nose, bloody them, uh, and get them to stop. Whether that will work, Anderson, is now the major question. Of course, the big uh, foe here in the region is Iran. They back forces in Yemen, in Iraq and Syria, uh, in Lebanon with Hezbollah, of course, and then Hamas in Gaza. So, as Oren was saying, the Houthis have vowed to respond. Uh, so it remains to be seen uh, whether there will be some kind of escalation here or whether the U.S. and these other countries have sent the message uh, that they are intending to send tonight. This is absolutely critical, not just in terms of the potential for a widening war, but for global commerce, because of the amount of shipping that goes through here, now you have ships being forced uh, to not go through the Red Sea, instead go south around the Cape of Good Hope in Africa, uh, which makes things a lot more complicated, a lot more expensive. Yeah. We should point out uh, a senior member of the Houthis, uh, Abdul Salam Jahaf, uh, made a statement on Thursday warning, quote, we will confront America, make it kneel down, burn its battleships and all its bases and everyone who cooperates with it, no matter the cost. He went on to say, we will tread on America with our feet. Um, Remains to be seen what, if any, response they may have to this latest attack. Just moments ago, CNN's Manu Raju got a statement supporting the strikes from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It reads in part, and I quote, President Biden's decision to use military force against these Iranian proxies is overdue. The United States and our allies must leave no room to doubt that the days of unanswered terrorist aggression are over. Joining us now, two former NATO Supreme Allied commanders, retired Army General Wesley Clark, retired Air Force General Philip Breedlove. 
with us as well from Israel, CNN International Diplomatic Editor Nick Robertson. General Clark, let me start with you. I'm wondering what your reaction is to news of these strikes. What do you make of what we've seen so far? Well, I think it's, it's a good first step. Uh, I think it could have happened sooner. I'm glad we have a coalition. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're dealing with something like this, Anderson, you don't want to have to do this in the first place. But when you do, you must attain escalation dominance. So uh, I didn't see anything in the reports about taking out the boats. So they're boats. They've been used to try to attack uh, shipping. We should take out the boats, take out every means that the Houthis have to get at these uh, shipping areas, wherever, the, wherever the, the minefields are, the mines are stationed. Now, the Iranians pulled their destroyer back, so, so they're trying to run from this. Uh, and that's the next step is to do something with Iran. But for now, it's on the Houthis. And so uh, they either stop or we uh, will have to escalate what we're doing. It's all a matter of getting the targeting. The intelligence is so critical. We can strike anything in there and probably hit it if we know what we're after. So I'm sure we've been preparing this strike package for a while, but we're going to have to probably go back again and harder and they're going to, it's a game, and they're learning from our strike. They're figuring out what we know. So um, it, 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 this is just the beginning of this, unfortunately. General Breedlove, do you have a sense of how sophisticated the Houthis are in terms of the, the, the weaponry that, that they have at their disposal? Well, remember that all roads in the Middle East lead back to Iran. So they are being fed capabilities that are beyond what they have would have created in their in their country. And this is what this is all about. We have a strategic defensive issue. We have lost what uh, deterrence we've had in this area, 130 strikes against our people, 27 against international shipping, one boat being held. And so our deterrence has to be regained and we've lost the initiative. We are now uh, reactive rather than proactive. And I think this is the first step to begin to be proactive and try to reestablish deterrence, much like Wes and others just talked about. We have to make Iran and all of their proxies understand that they will have to pay a cost for the things they're doing. It's a little slow in coming, but now maybe we will begin to regain that initiative and reestablish the deterrence that we once held in this area. So General Breedlove, in terms of the Houthis, what does that look like? I mean, uh, General Clark had talked about uh, going after mines, after boats that they have access to. Uh, I mean, how many other kind of targets do you think there are? How long could this go on for? Well, I think there are many yet to be struck. We heard today that they were moving some of their best kit into bunkers that were built for a different part of a different war. And so they know we're coming after them. And the good news is, I think we demonstrated to them today that we have good intelligence of where they are because we did strike valued targets today. And I think we just have to increase the cost, as Wes mentioned, increase the cost so that they know this is not going to be a profitable venture. Nick Robertson, uh, we should point out, I mean, the Houthis have been saying that they are uh, attacking the shipping lanes, attack, attacking targets in the in the Red Sea in support of uh, of Gaza. What kind of reaction do you think these strikes will likely have in Israel, in Gaza, in Lebanon? 
Yeah, I think if we look back to before the uh, Houthis actually started targeting shipping in the Red Sea, they were actually trying to fire cruise missiles towards Israel, trying to hit Elat. So uh, it's interesting that it is some of the longer range missiles like the cruise missile sites that have already been taken out. And of course, the Saudis have huge commercial shipping interests in the Red Sea because they're developing with China, the port city of Jazan, which is just across the border from Yemen. Uh, Jeddah is an important port. And they're of course, their big signature development in the future, NEOM, is on, is on the Red Sea as well. So the Saudis have a vested interest in stability in the Red Sea. And it was interesting that in those first waves of attacks that went towards Israel from the Houthis, it was the Saudis as well that actually intercepted uh, some, uh, some of the cruise missiles going to Israel. They put up fighter jets to do it. And the Houthis actually had a cross-border raid against the Saudis, killing Saudi soldiers on the border. Um, not many weeks after October 7th, again, ostensibly in support of uh, the people of Gaza. Um, that was the Houthis' rationale. So uh, the Saudis here have a vested interest in seeing stability, uh, but a war with the Houthis involving Saudi allies like the United States uh, uh, and the UK is, seems very likely to, to draw them in over time. And I think to the point that, that, that uh, um, General Wesley Clark was making about the boats, the way that the Houthis actually operate in the Red Sea, as well as firing drones at shipping, the ways that they try to board them, as well as trying to use helicopters, they take over small commercial fishing vessels, sort of, you know, 50, 100 foot type vessels. And then they use those as a sort of a mothership for even smaller boats that will then go out and try to board some of these bigger commercial vessels vessels moving through the Red Sea. So you can blind their ability to see the shipping that's coming um, by hitting the radar sites, which was one of the target packages today. But the actual means with which they go after the shipping is small, harder to hit, and mingles in with regular fishermen who use the regular fishing ports along the coast of Yemen. So this has a possibility to get messy. Um, but clearly the, the, the very strong message has been sent. But I think the idea that the Houthis are going to back down and, and, and pack up and go away quickly, um, I don't think that's what we're going to see at this time. General Clark, uh, to Nick's point about these small vessels, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of sort of Somali pirates years ago. Um, obviously, the scale seems to be different on this, and, and the impact of it is, is, is so far different. So is the U.S. response so far. H how difficult is it to for U.S. assets to counter these kind of small boat attacks on and attempts to board uh, international shipping? Well, I think you've got to give the U.S. commanders the mission to do it put the intelligence on it. We've got lots of resources in the area. We've got helicopters. We can bring in our own special forces. We can bring our, our ships a little bit closer if necessary. Uh, we can we can handle this. Now, th the key is, of course, there's no guarantee you'll never have any collateral damage. Just as in the case of these strikes, we don't know exactly what the collateral damage might be. But just to, to reinforce what uh, what Nick and, and Phil have said, uh, we need escalation dominance here. We don't want to be in a tit-for-tat, indefinite, uh, they shoot some missiles, we drop some bombs. They shoot some missiles, we drop some bombs. That's not the way to, to handle this. So we've given plenty of warning that we don't want escalation. Uh, so uh, they're still defiant. The next time, got to be bigger, got to be bolder strike, got to be more comprehensive strike, got to take away not their will, 
but their capabilities to interfere with the shipping. That's the real goal here. You know, we, we've apologized for two months saying that we, we don't want escalation. We don't want escalation. We've said that enough. But when it comes to it and you have to use military force, you have to use it effectively. And that means getting the escalation dominance. So we cut off their ability and we can largely do that against sea targets in, in here. They're going to try to lay mines. They're going to use unmanned surface vehicles. They're going to try to get unmanned undersea vehicles. They're going to get information from Iran. All of that's part of our understanding. And we'll put a campaign plan together. Just give us the mission and we'll do it. We want to stop it for tat. I want to check in uh, back with Orrin Lieberman at the Pentagon. Uh, Orrin, I understand there's a, a statement you've gotten. We've just gotten a statement from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who it is worth noting does remain in the hospital at this point after being admitted on January 1st. But nevertheless, in the statement he released just a short time ago, he says, and this this errors, uh, echoes language we heard from President Joe Biden, today's coalition action sends a clear message to the Houthis that they will bear further costs if they do not end their illegal attacks. So you see there very much that threat of further action from the U.S., perhaps the U.K., and the countries that back this operation if this doesn't stop. And he also gives a bit more information about what exactly was targeted. Uh, UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, unmanned surface vehicle, uh, vessels. We saw one of those used to try to attack shipping, land attack cruise missiles, and coastal radar and air surveillance capabilities. So the U.S. seems going after the Houthis' ability to monitor their own skies and monitor the sea around the Southern Red Sea, which was where many of their attacks have been focused on international shipping. One other statement that's worth pointing out here, Austin says, a coalition of countries committed to upholding the rules-based international order demonstrated our shared commitment to defending U.S. and international vessels and commercial vessels exercising navigational rights and freedoms from illegal and unjustifiable attacks. The reason I point that out is because normally when you see the U.S. highlighting their action in support of the international rules-based order, it is, for example, on the other side of the world in the South China Sea or the Taiwan Strait vis-a-vis -vis actions from China. Here, the U.S. needing to, to, to put the finger point on that and say, look, this is what we're upholding in carrying out these strikes against the Houthis in Yemen who have targeted one of the world's most critical international waterways. It also echoes language President Biden uh, had used uh, in his statement, saying the response to the international community to these reckless attacks has been united, resolute. Last month, the U.S. launched Operation Prosperity Guardian, a coalition of more than 20 nations committed to defending international shipping, deterring Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. He went on saying, uh, we also joined more than 40 nations in condemning Houthi threats. And last week, together with 13 allies and partners, we issued an unequivocal warning that Houthi rebels would bear the consequences if their attacks did not cease. He also points to the United Nations Security Council resolution passed uh, yesterday demanding that Houthis end attacks on merchant and commercial uh, vessels. So emphasizing just the, the large numbers of actors in the region and around the world which are involved in this, as well as the United Nations. Um, Alex Marquardt, is it clear how many U.S. assets were in the region ahead of these strikes and how many non-U.S. assets were involved? There are a lot of U.S. assets, not just uh, involved in trying to deter a wider conflict, but all across the region more traditionally. Um, we are learning more about the foreign assets, the non-American assets uh, that were also involved in this, notably uh, those Royal Air Force jets uh, from, uh, the, from the Brits. We also know that they have had a destroyer uh, out in the Red Sea as well. So what we've known in, in terms of this conflict, Anderson, the U.S. has actually reduced the number 
number of U.S. forces uh, that they initially sent out following the October 7th massacre. Initially, there was a carrier strike group, the, the Gerald Ford, which was already in the eastern Mediterranean. And then the USS Eisenhower was sent out to join it. Those two carrier strike groups meant to send a very significant message to Iran and the groups that they back to not escalate the situation. The Ford has actually gone home with its strike group. Uh, there have also been uh, hundreds of American soldiers who were sent out to the Middle East who have also gone home. But make no mistake, still a huge number of U.S. forces uh, dedicated to this Red Sea issue, uh, as well as the broader region. I mentioned the Eisenhower, uh, uh, the Eisenhower carrier strike group. So, of course, there's the aircraft carrier, the Eisenhower. Uh, there are two, three other ships uh, associated with that, one cruiser uh, and two destroyers. And then you have uh, four fighter jet squadrons. You have a helicopter squadron, uh, electronic warfare squadron. So all of those just here dealing with this threat from the Houthis in Yemen. And then more broadly, Anderson, this whole area of command, as it's known, uh, in the Middle East falls under U.S. Central Command. The biggest base there for the U.S. Central Command is right here in Doha. And then you've got the U.S. Fifth Fleet um, that, patrols, that patrols the seas. Um, that is based right here in Bahrain. And then, Anderson, you have thousands and thousands of U.S. troops who are all across the region here in Saudi Arabia, here in Kuwait, here in Iraq and Jordan. So if this were to escalate, it's not like the Eisenhower is on its own dealing with the Houthis. Um, you also have all of these U.S. forces, all of these U.S. assets and bases all across the region who are ready to respond. Again, the U.S. goal tonight was to de-escalate. Now, whether the Houthis see it that way, uh, we don't know yet. Uh, there, there certainly is an expectation that there could be a response, uh, but I would agree with General Clark. Uh, there are assets in place uh, to deal with that response, Anderson. General Breedlove, uh, the Houthi deputy foreign minister just issued a statement saying in part, quote, our country was subjected to a massive aggressive attack by American and British ships, submarines and warplanes. And America and Britain will undoubtedly have to prepare to pay a heavy price and bear all the dire consequences of this blatant aggression. I'm wondering what you make of that statement. And more importantly, what is the Houthis' ability to project uh, power to make attacks beyond just in the shipping lanes in the, in the Red Sea? So, uh, Anderson, it's a great question. You cannot dismiss their ability to uh, wreak havoc in other places of the world. Um, and we will have to reestablish, as several of your discussants have already mentioned tonight, we're going to have to reestablish our position to be able to block and prevent and, where required, attack those capabilities. Um, this is much like what we have seen in Ukraine. And we are going to face some of the same problems in uh, the South China Sea and with North Korea. These uh, people are all connected in watching how America deals with problems overseas and, uh, and then attacking them. And remember that we are deterred and have lost the initiative in Ukraine largely because of Mr. Putin's statements about widening the war and nuclear uh, expansion. So what did the Houthi leader do today? He threatened us with a wider war and so, so forth, expecting that we might be deterred at that point. Mm -hmm. I think, again, that thankfully, this may be the first rounds 
of reestablishing deterrence and retaking the initiative rather than being reactive in these kind of conflicts. Nick, what do you make of, of the Houthis' abilities? I think they're somewhat of an unpredictable actor uh, in this environment because they have seemed to act in many occasions quite irrationally. It has a rationale to them and undoubtedly has a rationale to their sponsors in Tehran. But uh, their ability to do the unexpected, I don't think, can be underestimated. For a number of years, until uh, uh, China got with Saudi and Iran to get uh, a diplomatic agreement uh, late, uh, almost a year ago now, um, the Houthis were really active in firing cruise missiles into Saudi Arabia, not just short missiles over the border to port cities like Jazan, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to the capital uh, of, of Riyadh. Uh, and this was going on over a number of years. So they do have the capability to reach. They've also uh, sent, they've claimed to have sent drones uh, into U the UAE as well, crashing at one time into one of the airports there. Um, so their ability to do the unexpected, I, I believe, cannot be underestimated. And their, and, and their persistence in taking up what, uh, you know, this, this support of the people of Gaza, um, which, is, which is new to them. It's, it's not something they've made a big issue out of in the, in the past. Yes, they've referenced it, but it's not been a big issue. Um, their, their ability to, to give unexpected reasons and rationale and do the unexpected uh, can't be overlooked. Um, I, I want to go to MJ Lee at the White House. I understand there's been now another statement from the Houthis. Yeah, actually, Anderson, uh, right now we are monitoring uh, a press call that is taking place where we are getting just new information about some of the behind the scenes and what sort of led to uh, what we are seeing right now uh, on the screen. A senior administration official uh, confirming what CNN reported earlier this evening, that U.S. Uh, vessels had been targeted by the Houthis on Tuesday. This is the, a series of attacks that we saw uh, just two days ago. This included a U.S. commercial vessel, as well as, according to this official, U.S. military vessels. And just to give you a sense of uh, what exactly happened on Tuesday, uh, we are told by this official that had it not been uh, for this defensive coalition that had been in place in the Red Sea, this is what we've been uh, referring to as Operation Prosperity Guardian, uh, that ships would have been sunk and that this commercial ship that was full of jet fuel would have been hit, and they described it as a close call. Uh, now, we are also told, and some of this we also reported a little earlier, that after these attacks by the Houthis on Tuesday, this is when President Biden convened his national security team. He ordered his advisors to basically draw up uh, what the possible plans were for uh, retaliation. And then he directed his defense secretary, Secretary Austin, to carry out this response that we are seeing right now, uh, led by the U.S. Uh, and the U.K. So, uh, again, more details are filtering in about how especially the last few days have unfolded. But as we have been talking about uh, throughout the hour, we've gotten a lot of this information from U.S. officials in recent days about how uh, serious the situation was and that there was going to be some kind of action taken. But of course, we are now learning in real time uh, what exactly led to those considerations, Anderson. I'm also getting word that the Houthis have made a new statement. I just want to try to get a, a, a read on exactly what the, the wording on it was. But um, I believe that 
can you repeat what that uh, what that wording was to me, uh, Charlie, in my ear? Um, they were told that they had said that they had launched possible retaliatory uh, actions. Yeah, uh, Anderson, I, I can help you out there. Sure. Um, Houthis are uh, claiming that they have launched uh, fresh attacks on U.S. and U.K. Uh, warships in the Red Sea. Uh, obviously, this is a fast unfolding situation and an incredibly uh, volatile situation where uh, we may see uh, sort of a, a back and forth now that this uh, these airstrikes have been conducted by the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, U.S. officials are making clear that, of course, uh, they are very much on the lookout to see how and in what ways the Houthis may respond. Uh, again, we will uh, get back to you with more reporting uh, once we know exactly what the U.S. assessment uh, of this claim from the Houthis is. Uh, again, that claim is that they are uh, launching, have launched fresh attacks on U.S. and U.K. warships in the Red Sea. Anderson. Um, if we still have General Clark, uh, General Clark, if that is the case, and again, that's just a statement made by the Houthis. We don't have confirmation that has actually occurred. Um, that's something that would pretty easily be monitored, I would imagine, by U.S. authorities. I mean, if U.S. authorities are in the midst of a strike against the Houthis, um, I would imagine they are looking very carefully at what is being lit up in various uh, areas controlled by the Houthis. Sure. And uh, we're also doing our bomb damage assessment after the strike. And obviously, the warships have got all of their uh, radars on alert at your battle stations. You're ready to defend yourself. Sure. But one more thing, Anderson, in terms of uh, unexpected uh, directions, uh, we should never forget that there is always the possibility of a terrorist strike managed by Iran in the name of the Houthis anywhere against U.S. assets, including here in the United States. We know that these capabilities are out there. We know the Iranians have the capability to strike. Uh, we know that the Iranians are, are they're, they're very carefully uh, managing this. They want to uh, assert their, uh, their pretensions to regional hegemony. They want to try to isolate and threaten Israel. And they also want to reduce the credibility and influence of the United States in the region without being struck in such a way they lose their nuclear capabilities. So uh, so there's a dance going on with the Iranians, and it wouldn't be surprising if they, some of the efforts come in the form of attempted terrorist activities against U.S. bases, U.S. embassies worldwide or whatever. And I'm sure uh, our government's got everybody on alert for this. And, and Nick, uh, more, more on that, what, some context about their capabilities. Yeah, I mean, one of the capabilities, and we've seen them use it before in the past on shipping in the Red Sea, uh, going back a couple of years here, but they have these uh, drone boats, these fast drone boats that are packed with explosives that they send out to try to target shipping. They've tried to use them against oil tankers in the Red Sea before. So um, their ability to launch a couple of those at short notice uh, tonight, you know, cannot be uncounted for the for, you know, for, for the naval assets in the region, which I'm sure they're looking out for. You know, one other point I would make here as well, and this must be going through the mind of Saudi officials when they consider, as Secretary Blinken has been talking about, their willingness still uh, with Israel to have a normalization of relationships on their provisos, uh, two-state solution, all those things. But 
with the Houthis at your back door saying they support the people of Gaza, um, that's an implicit threat against Saudi Arabia for any normalization with Israel. If the Houthis are going after international shipping and have gone after Saudi with cruise missiles before, um, that clearly has to be on their agenda set potentially for the future. And Saudi Arabia will be acutely aware of that potential threat. This really, the Houthis have really unlocked quite a big uh, quite a big threat in the region right now. And Nick, thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, so far. In the wake of Defense uh, Secretary Austin's statement a moment ago, we were expecting to get more details from a senior Pentagon official who's going to join us shortly. We'll bring you that. Uh, we'll stay on the story as we get any additional new information throughout this hour and throughout the evening. Coming up next, the former president's own closing remarks in his civil fraud trial after making outlandish claims in court. What he said and what the facts say. Keep them honest ahead. This show is supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Maybe you'd go hiking or take a much-needed nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? BetterHelp wants you to know that now's the time to choose happiness. And working with a therapist can help you get closer to a more blissful you. Therapists are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions. And they teach productive coping skills, giving you a greater sense of confidence to face your stress and anxiety. With BetterHelp, you get the benefits of in-person therapy. Plus, it's more convenient, more accessible, and more affordable. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people in counting with licensed therapists, all 100% online. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com AC360 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash A-C-360. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. Uh, more on tonight's breaking news as we wait to speak with a Pentagon spokesman about the American and British airstrikes that have taken place on Houthi targets in Yemen. We've got new video tweeted out by Britain's Secretary of State for Defense, their defense secretary. It shows a British Eurofighter aircraft, the kind that took part uh, in the strike uh, taking off. Uh, back to our breaking news, the missile strikes against uh, the uh, Iranian-backed Houthis. We're joined now by Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Patrick Ryder. Major General, appreciate you being with us. What phase is this mission currently in? Is it ongoing? Is it finished? Yeah, first of all, Anderson, thanks very much for having me. So we've conducted uh, these strikes, of course, uh, you know, if there's an eventuality uh, where we may need to take self-defense strikes, of course, we'll do that. Um, but for all intents and purposes right now, uh, we've conducted this significant multination operation uh, in order to send a clear message to the Houthis uh, that the kinds of attacks that they've been conducting since November 19th, uh, 27 as of today, uh, will not be tolerated. Uh, and so these strikes were specifically targeting uh, facilities that were known to uh, have radars 
missiles and UAV capabilities uh, that have enabled the Houthis to conduct these strikes. So going forward, the intent here is to degrade and disrupt their ability to do this going in the going ahead in the future. Have you done damage assessment yet uh, to get a sense of how effective these strikes have been? Well, after any operation, of course, that's going to be a, a natural aspect. And so that's ongoing right now. And of course, you know, we'll, we'll know more. Uh, but these strikes, again, were intended to be very surgical, very precise and very deliberate to degrade and disrupt Houthi capability. You indicated that there would be more if there are uh, further strikes by Houthis. If there are not further strikes, is this done? Uh, we talked to General Wesley Clark earlier, who was pointing out, um, you know, there are small boats used by the Houthis to strike at uh, uh, ships in, in the Red Sea. Are you looking to are you looking for other targets now or is it basically this is done and you're waiting to see what a response is? Yeah, well, I'm not going to, as I'm sure you can appreciate, telegraph or speculate on, on potential future operations. Um, but as Secretary Austin has said tonight in his statement, we reserve the right to protect and defend our forces, to defend the global trade that transits through the Red Sea. Uh, and to take necessary steps to, again, make sure that the Houthis understand loud and clear that it's unacceptable to the international community to continue to conduct these uh, these reckless, dangerous and illegal attacks against commercial shipping and mariners that are transiting this vital waterway. Can you talk about the role played by British forces in this? Uh, Bahrain uh, and, and the Netherlands were cited as well. Australia, I believe. As well, well. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let our, our international partners, of course, talk to their own role for the United States. Uh, we had multiple capabilities involved in this to include U.S. Navy and U.S. Air Force aircraft, U.S. Navy ships and submarine subsurface uh, capabilities all participating in these strikes. Uh, and, and again, we'll have much more information to provide uh, in the future on, on what those capabilities were. But needless to say, this multinational effort uh, sent a very loud and clear message to the Houthis tonight. There, there was a vow of retribution from the Houthis saying, quote, we will confront America, make it kneel down, burn its battleships and all its bases and everyone who cooperates with it, no matter the cost. Um, have you seen any response by the Houthis thus far? Because there, there was also, uh, they, there was a claim that they had made about launching retaliatory strikes. Yeah, so far, uh, we have not seen any kind of reaction or retaliation. And it's important to remember how we got here. On November 19th, we started to see these Houthi attacks against commercial vessels transiting this waterway. Over 50 nations have been affected by this. And, and as you know, 10 to 15 percent of global trade transits through the Red Sea. Uh, there had been multiple warnings uh, to include early in January a statement by many nations saying that there would be consequences. Clearly, none of us want to see an escalation of conflict. No one wants to see, uh, you know, the, the tensions rise in the region, region, but it's unacceptable to see the kind of behavior that we've been seeing. And so, again, tonight was intended to disrupt and degrade their ability to launch those attacks. How much of this coalition force is comprised of U.S. military assets and how much of it is made of, of foreign military assets, can you say? Yeah, I don't I don't have a breakdown to provide Anderson. Needless to say, I think the important thing here is the fact that this is a multinational effort, a multinational coalition, and that these Houthi attacks have been, as I highlighted, uh, essentially affecting over 50 nations and global trade and the economic well-being of nations around the world. And so, again, we would hope that the message is received loud and clear. The Houthis stop these attacks. 
and that mariners and commercial vessels can transit this vital waterway without being subject uh, to the dangers that these attacks have presented. General Ryder, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Anderson. Coming up next, the former president in court and afterwards making claims about his civil trial that in reality, we're keeping them on us next. Closing arguments and verbal fireworks today in New York's civil fraud case against the former president and his family business. Now, in a moment, we'll talk about how each side summed up the trial, which could spell the end of the Trump organization as we know it. First, though, keeping them honest, what the former president said outside the courtroom today came after the judge, Arthur N. Goron, in a reversal from his prior decision, allowed uh, Trump to speak in court and then eventually cut him off six minutes into a statement, ordering the defense to, quote, control your client. It continued after court with the former president making a string of claims, which could be true, but only if court records did not exist or newspapers or if time flowed backwards and cause and effect were reversed. Here's the condensed version. We didn't have a jury. We had no rights to a jury. This is a statute that's a consumer fraud statute, never been used for anything like this before. And it's a shame. We won this case already in the Court of Appeals. Now, keeping him honest again in the condensed version, because some of these claims have been repeatedly debunked, his lawyers never pushed for a jury trial. The statute in question, contrary to his claim, has certainly been used like this before, including against Trump University and, yes, the Trump Foundation, which generated millions of dollars in settlements and resulted in that foundation being dissolved. And no, the former president has not already won the case on appeal. One appeal did eliminate his daughter, Ivanka, as a defendant. A more recent appeal to pause the trial ended in defeat. Joining us now, CNN's Kara Scannell with more on what happened in court. Also, CNN legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Joey Jackson and Nellie Honig, CNN senior legal analyst and former federal prosecutor. So, Kara, what was it like in court today? So, you know, this was um, the closing moment in this case. And Trump, who was there for openings, was here again today for closings. Initially, he did not agree to the judge's terms to allow him to speak. So he wasn't going to speak. But then after all of his attorneys finished their closing arguments, Chris Keiss's lead attorney said to the judge, can the former president please speak? So the judge gave him the remaining five or six minutes of the day where he said, you can talk, but you have to work within these ground rules, which is what talk about the evidence and talk about the law. And Trump didn't. He proclaimed that he was an innocent man, that he was being persecuted. He said, this was a political witch hunt. What's happened here, sir, is a fraud on me. And he continued to go on and to attack the, pro- the, the investigation. So the judge gave him a cue that he had one minute left. And Trump said to the judge, you have your own agenda. I understand that. Judge saying, Mr. Keis, please control your client. Trump saying, your honor, look, I did nothing wrong. They should pay me for what we had to go through, what they've done to me reputationally and everything else. So his lawyers and their closings were making the pitch that the attorney general's team did not put on one witness who said that they felt that a fraud was committed here from the banks that had given them loans or the insurers that had underwritten some of these policies. The attorney general's team said the buck stops with Trump. He's the head of the organization. And they said that the judge could infer from Trump's vast knowledge of all of the assets, including the triplex apartment that the AG's team said was overstated, which Trump has acknowledged was overstated for some of these financial statements, saying given his vast knowledge, they can infer that he had the intent to commit this fraud because he didn't change any of the valuations that they believe he knew were overvalued. Now, what was interesting, though, today is that the judge, who's very active, he interrupts everyone. He's very engaged in the closing arguments as he was throughout the trial. He stopped one of the attorney general's lawyers and brought up Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump and had said to them, what evidence 
I haven't seen any of fraud that you have that they knew that fraud had been committed. And so that put the attorney general's team on their back heels. Mm -hmm. But they said that, you know, you can't stick your head in the sand and use that as a defense. Once Trump was in the White House, his two sons are running the company. Elliot, how do you think ultimately the judge will decide here? So Donald Trump has already lost. Let's remember that. One of the seven counts the judge ruled before trial against Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump's going to lose even further now. There are six other counts. Uh, and I think the judge is going to find against Trump on some or all of them. The big questions really are, how big is the decision going to be? How much money is the Trump org going to have to pay? I think that's the lesser concern. Bigger concern for the Trump org is they could lose their business certificates, which would put them out of business in New York and potentially nationwide, that's going to be up to the judge. But it's going to be a heavy hit for the Trump org. The, in their closing argument, the attorney general's team said that Trump, quote, acted with intent to defraud his financial statements. How do you expect intent to factor in the judge's decision? Yeah, so the AG's office has to prove intent as to these remaining counts. And as Kara said, I think it's actually really interesting. The AG's office acknowledged they did not have direct evidence. They asked the judge to infer from the other evidence, but that's perfectly legitimate. You do that at trial sometimes. You can, you can say, based on Michael Cohen's testimony, based on the fact that Trump ran this place, based on the extent of the overinflation, he had to have known, and that's the argument on intent. Joey, do you think the former president did himself any favors with the judge or with the end result in this? I mean, politically, there's one thing to his supporters, but in the court, did he do himself any favors by talking? So, Anderson, I think they are mindful, the Trump team, with regard to the two things they have to accomplish here. The one thing, obviously, is in court and what you have to communicate to the judge. Closing arguments are obviously about the facts and about the law. And I, actually, that was the reason that he couldn't give the closing argument, because he would not agree to follow those rules and instead wanted to wax poetic about the campaign, et cetera, attacking the attorney general, everyone else. So they said, you can't make it. So in terms of an in-court proceeding, I do not think that he did himself any favors with respect to denigrating the attorney general, saying it's a witch hunt, etc. However, there's that other imperative, which is very big, and that is there's a presidential election. And with regard to that, you want to contain and keep the narrative of what am I doing here? I'm a victim. I made a lot of money for these banks and other people. There was no fraud. I'm being persecuted. And that's something I think that plays to his followers. And as a result of that, there he may have done himself a lot of favors. So I think it's the bridging of those two gaps at the end of the day that he's very mindful of. Right. He's, he's fundraising also off all of these appearances. Uh, Kara, what happens next? I mean, we're so the final word was said today. The legal briefs were all filed last week. The judge saying that he expects to make his decision, which will come in a written opinion by the end of the month. He said it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee, but look for it by January 31st. That, though, won't be the end of this because Trump's team has already said they're going to appeal. They expect to lose this. It's just a matter of what they're going to be appealing. So this is going to continue for months, potentially, on end until the appeals court has the final say on this. What's the appeals process look like? Well, I think that Donald Trump's team is going to appeal certainly whatever the verdict is, certainly the amount. I also think they're going to claim that when the judge gave summary judgment, when the judge ruled before the trial, that he actually violated procedure there because summary judgment means if I take all the facts in favor of the party I'm ruling against, meaning if I assume the world as Trump argues it, he still loses. That's not really what the judge did. If you look at his summary judgment order, he says, well, the AG says A, Trump says B, I find A way more credible. But I think they'll argue on appeal that's a verdict 
That was inappropriate for summary judgment. So they will have legitimate appeals issues. I don't think they're going to get this case thrown out, but they may be able to chop down the award. Joe, do you think they'll be? Listen, I think that obviously there'll be an appeal and there'll probably be multiple layers to that, right? Remember what that looks like. The judge makes a determination. Thereafter, it goes to what we call an appellate division. That's an intermediate level court. And then, of course, the courts in New York, the Court of Appeals is the highest court. I think it'll ultimately end there. It's going to turn on two things that they always do facts and the law. And if the judge follows factual his factual determinations, that's what judges do in a bench trial, Anderson. It's up to the judge to make the factual finding. And if they're supported by facts and he matches that to the laws at issue here, I think, you know what, ultimately the courts need to decide whether there was any overstep, whether there were any errors, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and I think that they'll have their hands full because they're going to appeal everything in this case. And Kara, I mean, you've covered a lot of trials. What was, how does this compare? I mean, this was kind of a wild trial because it was a bench trial. The judge gave a lot more leeway in this case. There were a lot of speaking objections. The parties would break out in fights, slinging insults at each other at different points during this trial. It was just unlike anything else. And I've covered a lot of trials to actually see it handled this way. But I think part of what the judge was doing is he was very cognizant that they were going to appeal. So he was giving the Trump side a lot of room to make their record, to put a lot of things on the record. Um, But, you know, it, it was a three-month-long trial. Uh, you know, even today, it was this idea that he set the rules for Trump coming in and then in the end ultimately let Trump speak mm. because he said no one had more to lose in this trial than Trump. And so he felt since there was no jury, it was appropriate for Trump to have the final word. Interesting. Uh, well, thanks so much. Appreciate it, all of you. Uh, the news continues. That's it for us. I'll see you tomorrow. The Source with Caitlin Collins starts now.